What's that old saying? We're going to use it at least here in the fast lane. Misery loves company. Yes, that's how we start things off here in Covering the Commonwealth Part 1. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with the Virginia Cavaliers. No, we do not deem misery to be how we feel in the fast lane, and we hope it's not how our current guest, JerryRatcliffe.com founder Jerry Hudy Ratcliffe, is feeling as well. But Virginia, they're miserable at 0-5. Meanwhile, a former Virginia Cavalier, Brendan Armstrong, might not be feeling so swell himself, nor his offensive coordinator, Robert and I, is that combination appears to be Heading to the bench because Brendan Armstrong will be there with MJ Morris taking over at NC State. Hootie to the Wahoos in a moment. I know we're delaying the joy of talking an 0-5 football team here. Is there any level of, I don't know about solace or even vindication for Tony Elliott because it's not like he's delivering results, but maybe explanation that the way things didn't work out last year with Armstrong and Elliott may not have just been Tony Elliott. Well, yeah, Ed, and I pointed that out on some various podcasts and radio shows and and columns uh, over the past year that part of the problem last year was the new system that never clicked with Armstrong, but uh, most of the people pointed at the coaches for causing that problem when in uh, if you study the situation, Armstrong wasn't capable of running another system, and I he can't even run the system that he's accustomed to, even though it's been tweaked a little bit. But um, the guy last year, I mean, I don't care what system you're in, he was overthrowing wide-open receivers, missing by 10 yards short, 10 yards to the side, 10 yards over their head, uh, with not any pressure on him. So uh, I think a lot of the stigma from last year should fall on Armstrong's shoulders uh, not exactly the coaching staff, although, um, you know, I, I think they dumbed things down toward the end to try to help him, but even that didn't work. But um, I, I, I think we've seen that Armstrong, I mean, he wanted to go to the NFL. He got back uh, poor feedback from the NFL, so he decided to transfer. And nobody really wanted him except Robert and I at NC State. And, and now, like you said, it looks like he's getting benched down there. Uh, I've watched three of their games now, and he's doing the same thing this year as he did last year when he's missing wide-open receivers and um, just can't uh, complete a, a over 50% of his passes. Yeah, it hasn't been a banner year down there, nor has it been for the Virginia Cavaliers. And it was not a banner trip up to Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, where they had leads of 14-0 and 21-7, but could not hold on the Virginia Cavaliers. Same story or a little bit different because they were competitive for much of this game, but just couldn't finish it off? Well, it seems to be the same story over and over again. They they find a new way to lose every week, and they've blown three double-digit leads now in five games. Uh, two of those games they had a chance to win, uh, one of them for sure. And they just keep shooting themselves in the foot, Ed. They, uh, if it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not special teams, it's poor defense. Can't stop the run. If it's not that, you can't generate enough offense. If it's not that, it's just dumb penalties, uh, which has haunted them the past two weeks. But uh, 
most of the problems boil down to this simple fact is they can't run the football and they can't stop other people from running the football. And if you lose control of the line of scrimmage, you don't have much of a shot to win unless your quarterback is having uh, an eye-popping day where he completes 75% of his passes for 400-plus yards. And that, that doesn't happen very often. No, it really doesn't. And Virginia having different ways to try to overcome these challenges as Jerry Ratcliffe uh, is able to at least provide some level of perspective with us here in the fast lane. Hootie, Virginia now gets ready for William & Mary. I mean, is this it? The last chance to get a win this season? Possibly so, although uh, Georgia Tech is looking a little shaky at the moment. but And then, uh, you know, Virginia Tech isn't faring much better, so... I wouldn't say this is the last chance, but it's the best chance. Uh, William and Mary lost to Elon last week, which surprised a lot of people. And I think they've lost their top uh, offensive weapon and their running, good running back. Um, and the game is here. So, uh, yeah, this is their best shot. Uh, and if they don't get it done this week, uh, who knows what may happen. Things could go completely haywire. JerryRatcliffe.com founder. Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe here in the Fast Lane. Hootie, appreciate the time. Thank you much, and we'll chat again soon. Okay, Ed. See you soon, brother. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokie, Hokie, Hokie High. David Cunningham of TechSideline.com with us here in the Fast Lane. David, a pleasure to speak with you. Does it just have a different feel, being able to cover a football game, which actually results in a win? <laughs> yeah, yeah, great to be with you. And it does a little bit. It, it, it helps to change the narrative, I think. Uh, Virginia Tech obviously played pretty well, surprisingly. Surprisingly, maybe not. I don't I don't know. Um, it, it felt like a Virginia Tech team that played to its strengths and eliminated weaknesses. Coaches always talk about that. But this was the first time, I think, in the Brent Pry era where – both the offense and defense did it at the same time. Uh, and, and I'm not saying this pit team is very good because it isn't, uh, but I do think this was a good benchmark. The Hokies don't have very many really good teams on the rest of the schedule. They obviously go to Tallahassee and play number five Florida State, and Louisville looks pretty good now too. Uh, that's a little bit later in November, but games against UVA, NC State, uh Boston College, these are very winnable games. Wake Forest and Syracuse are in there, too. Virginia Tech has the opportunity to kind of turn the season around, whether it's a one-off or whether it's actually what Virginia Tech is now. We'll find out in probably a couple weeks. Indeed we will because they get ready to battle Florida State this coming weekend, and they are a 27-point underdog. Kickoff right after 3.30 p.m. on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app for Virginia Tech at Florida State. Are you just looking to keep this game as close as possible for as long as possible if you're Virginia Tech? I think so, but I also don't think uh, that Florida State has necessarily played very well so far this year. Uh, I think Florida State was good in the opener, obviously, uh, but Boston College, granted, in Chestnut Hill, the arguably hardest place to play in the ACC, uh, Florida State did not play well up up at Boston. Uh, I will say... This is a completely different Florida State team, and it's a unit coming off a bye week. I don't know what to expect, really, from Florida State. I'm not picking Tech to win. I don't think Tech will win. But I, I think so. I think 
keeping it close and building off of what you can. Virginia Tech played well against Pitt. And I think the biggest thing offensively was that Tyler Bowen, the offensive coordinator, this is the first time in his tenure it felt like he actually schemed up an offense to his quarterback's strengths. That's a huge thing. Can you keep it going? Can you get Kyron Jones even more confident as a quarterback? On the defensive side, the Hokies are going to have to stop the run again. They did much better against Pitt. Was that just a one-off because Pitt is not very good? Or was that is that the way it's going to be now? I kind of said that earlier. That's how I'm looking at this game. I don't expect Tech to win, but take some positives and, and grow from it. This is a game where, you know, if the Hokies can keep it two, three scores, say a 17-point game, I think that'd be a positive going forward, especially since you said, what, the line is 27 now? That's kind of ridiculous. Uh, I don't think – I would pick Tech to cover, but um, I, I don't think Tech necessarily um, – has a huge chance in this one, but I do think that, you know, if Tech comes out and plays pretty competent football, limits the penalties, which it did not do against Pitt, it'll have a fighter's chance. David, for the correction, by the way, it opened up at 27, and actually, as you projected, or at least seemed to think it should have, it has come down to 24 points as the line for Virginia Tech at Florida State. Last one for you, and we do appreciate your time today, though, here in the Fast Lane, talking some Virginia Tech football. Um, clear Kyron Jones at his best game and seems to be establishing himself as the guy. What would you like to see Virginia Tech most take from his performance and use going forward? I think moving the pocket and and rolling Kyron Jones out. Uh, I think that's something that Tech did very well with in Kyron Jones' first start at Rutgers. Did not do as great of a job of against Marshall, but did a much better job. Uh, It put Kyron Jones in good positions to succeed. Uh, As we talked about on our Tech Sideline podcast this morning with my colleagues Chris Coleman and Andy Bitter, this Virginia Tech team and the offense, they ran some stuff they hadn't run yet this season. They used some different motions, even threw a little bit of a triple option in there. They, they changed it up. They were creative. Continue to be creative. Continue to get Kyron Drones in good positions. Meaning, don't you know when you anticipate a blitz coming, give Kyron Drones the opportunity to get the ball out quickly. Uh, I think Kyron Drones, his his big play he had to Jalen Lane, where he had. Uh, blitz coming from the strong side and he kind of got it, got it off quickly and Lane just happened to be there in the middle of the space with nobody around it. That is, that is, that's obviously hard to draw up because the defense kind of gave you a little bit. But I think there are a lot of positives in that where get Kyron Jones in a comfortable situation. Play to his strengths. I think the biggest thing was Tech ran the ball. Tech went away from the run against Marshall. Tech ran the ball 59 times against Pitt. That's not going to happen every single game, and it was only for about 3.4 yards per carry. But continue to get Bashaw Tootin touches, too. I think that is very important. Tootin and Drones, two transfers, which kind of goes to show you how important the transfer portal is in this day and age. Those two guys will be crucial going forward for Virginia Tech. Continue to give them touches, continue to get them the ball, and Tech's offense should continue to trend upward. The Real Decon A, Twitter and Instagram and TechSideline.com. That's how you can keep up with David Cunningham's work. David, a pleasure to speak with you. Enjoy Tallahassee, and uh, we'll chat again. Sounds good, Ed. Talk to you soon. David Cunningham with us here in the Fast Lane. Now to the Liberty Flames. Nick Pierce on the sidelines. You hear him regularly for the Liberty Flames Sports Network, and now you get to hear him in the Fast Lane and covering the Commonwealth. Nick, a pleasure to speak with you. Flames off of the bye week. Um, 
Coach Jamie Chowbot, when he spoke with the media a couple of days ago, mentioning he'd actually rather have the full lead up to a Saturday coming off the bye week uh, as opposed to a Thursday night game. Could it be a blessing in disguise, though? Because obviously you're getting ready for this quirky schedule in March or during the month of October because of Conference USA getting an opportunity to feature these games for midweek TV audiences. Yeah, Ed, thanks for having me. Um, blessing in disguise? Yeah, sure, I hope so. Um, I think that uh, the national TV recognition, uh, this is one of, I think, just two nationally televised games coming up here on Thursday night. Uh, I think that the coaches in Jamie Jabbles even said this himself, they'll tell you that they'll play anywhere at 10 in the morning if they have to, to, to get that kind of exposure. You just can't put a price tag on that. So, look, they'll adapt. They'll, they'll do the things that they need to do. The real tough part isn't going to be this Thursday. It's going to be the turnaround to next Tuesday when they've got to go down to Jacksonville State and play a game on five days. So, you look at turning around and then traveling on Monday after you play a game on Thursday night, uh, that, that's going to be a really tough turnaround getting into that uh, every Tuesday flow that's coming up here over the next three games after this. So we can't look too far ahead. Got to take care of business at home. Flames have a chance to get to 5-0 and here coming up this week and 3-0 and in uh, Conference USA. When Jamie Chabell spoke on Friday, he also mentioned Sam Houston State, especially off that much more nail-biter type game this past Thursday night. Not your typical team that's uh, still searching for their first win. They're only 0-1 in Conference USA play. What has stood out to you about Conference USA uh, adding Sam Houston State and, more importantly, what threat they pose to the Flames? Uh, With Sam Houston, I mean, and I'm still kind of getting into my preparation for them. I think the the big thing that stands out right now is it seems like they're still trying to find an identity on offense. Uh, you know, they played uh, Grant Ganell at quarterback against Houston in a 38-7 to loss. He only threw for 100 yards with a pick. Keegan Shoemaker's numbers were terrible coming into that Jacksonville State game. Better showing by the offense. They scored, I think it was 21 in the first quarter of that game after being held to just 10 points in the first three games combined. But Shoemaker, you know, two touchdowns and a pick, had his best game, but it still wasn't enough because Sam Houston's defense gave up a touchdown inside of the last minute to Jacksonville State and a two-point conversion to tie that game, and they go on to lose it in overtime at home, no less. So Sam Houston going on the road here this week to Liberty. Obviously, the Flames are and should be heavy favorites in that game, but, you know, that doesn't mean anything So you go out there and get it done. So to answer your question, Sam Houston seems like a team that's still kind of searching but a team that obviously has some winning pedigree. They redshirted a lot of their players last year in that uh, transition year going to FBS, so they would have their better players for this moment. Casey Keeler, their head coach, won a national championship at the FCS level with Sam Houston in the spring of 21, won another FCS title at Delaware before that several years prior. So uh, a coaching staff that knows how to win, they know how to get it turned around. The Flames are just hoping it doesn't start on Thursday night. Indeed, that is the goal, and it's our goal to get great insight, which is why we have Nick Pierce of the Liberty Flames Sports Network here and covering the Commonwealth. Nick, thank you for your time. Much appreciated, and we will chat again soon. Thanks, Ed. Nick Pierce with us here in the Fast Lane. When we return, part two of covering the Commonwealth. Some NASCAR talk and, yes, a team that had their left hand up for most of the game, but not when it mattered most. Those haters can't stand us. Left hand up. Who are we? That's also part of covering the Commonwealth Part 2, next here on the Fast Lane.